Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. It's good to be back. Uh, We're joined with our super producer, Paul Deccant, as always. And most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Matt, that Ben-shaped hole from last time is filled in with a Ben-shaped figure. Oh my gosh, it's filled in so much. It's (laughs) like, he not only did he go on adventures and come back, he brought us gifts. He did. I'm wearing you're mine a good right man, now. You are a good man. Oh, thanks. Yeah, behind the uh, behind the curtain, all of our birthdays occur in a very close span of time. Totally unplanned. Totally mm-hmm. unplanned. Or unless our parents are part of a conspiracy, we have yet to discern. No, we were all accidental births as well. 
And yep. uh, <laughs> I did not know that about you, Noel. And uh, one of the practices that I personally like to do and I highly recommend to anyone listening is that when you celebrate your birthday, the only real New Year's you get, take some time to appreciate your friends and family. Give them presents instead. Think of it as a, uh, a loyalty program, but not as creepy as the big data grocery store cards. <laughs> okay. I think we can all do that. Wait, are you saying you don't use a Kroger Plus card, Ben? I still don't. They, oh. But they give you such value. And they get gas oh, yeah. points. Yeah. It's, it's the only way I can afford food for my family. It's interesting, though, because if you're old enough to remember the times before the introduction of those cards, the prices were initially lower if you used a card, but then they just upped the prices gradually on all the other products so you're getting the normal price. By Are you saying they're taking the me for a ride? <laughs> I'm saying they're taking your data for a ride oh, for sure. Man. But uh, speaking of rides, speaking of traveling, I want to thank you guys for uh, doing what I hear is a fantastic episode while, while I was away. Who told you that? You told me that. Oh, cool. <laughs> we, we, got, we got through it. We did, get, we did get through it. Listeners write in. Did we, did we suck? <laughs> Please. Was it okay? But be nice. Yeah. I, I can't wait to hear it. It's only the uh, it's only the second episode I've ever missed, and I was I, I really missed you guys. So it's great to be back. And one place that I have not traveled to in, in all this gallivanting and globe trotting is Italy. Have you guys ever been to Italy? Not once, but definitely I want to go there. I would very much like to go, but so. not so much after this episode. <laughs> Maybe not to Florence, right? Spoilers. Yeah. Hey, Paul, have you ever been to Italy? Oh, my gosh. So Paul just said he's been to Italy and Florence. Mm -hmm. We might might consult you a little bit uh, for some background information today, Paul. What do we think of when we think of Italy? Just just like off the top of the dome, first impressions. Olives. There we go. Yeah, I would say the canals of Venice maybe. Mm -hmm. Gondolas Mm -hmm. also in Venice. Mm -hmm. Uh, Pizza, clearly. Uh, The Pope? Yeah, <gasps> making a return. Il Papa? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Pope in the Vatican. Uh, s- fresh steaming pasta, maybe, right? Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps that as well. Uh, let's go the whole nine with the stereotypes. Maybe somebody singing Amore, right? Perfect. Possibly while piloting a gondola mm-hmm. and wearing a black and white striped shirt. Very similar to the one you're wearing right now, Ben. Oh, yeah. This one is – I think this is from Korea. It was way hotter there than I thought it would be. But beyond these images we see of Italy, the country also has a dark side, a history of violent murders that some allege border on the occult. And here are the facts. In today's episode, we're exploring some of the most well-known homicide cases in modern Italian history. We'll start with the Beasts of Satan, and then eventually we'll meet, maybe, the monster of Florence. So the Beasts of Satan. This is beasts, plural, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Beasts, plural. Monster, singular. But... Asterisk. Yeah. Right? So, The Beast of Satan. This story begins in January of 1998 when two young people, two youths of Italy, Fabio Tullis and Chiara Marino, uh, disappear. They're teenagers. They're both just around 16. They have been drinking at a pub called The Midnight. 
Sounds like a respectable neighborhood watering hole. Mm-hmm. Real family place. But no, as it turns yeah. out, it was sort of a meetup spot for folks in like the uh, the black metal scene, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The real dark stuff. Which is, you know, the stuff like you hear about with the uh, Swedish death metal bands. Well, black metal, I think, if we're talking stylistically, black metal has the witchier vocal. Yeah. It's like, and death metal is more, right? Right. That's it. They were both involved in uh, black metal and death metal. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Scandinavia, Noel, because a lot of members of black metal and death metal Bands in Scandinavia were implicated in church burnings. Right. That's what I was getting to. And also even like the ones that maybe didn't actually murder each other, like members of the band Mayhem, I think you may remember. Mm -hmm. Or Hellhammer. Hellhammer. Yeah, exactly. Or that – was that a guy or a band? They they all – I can never – I always confuse Mm -hmm. them because they all have these crazy names. Mm -hmm. But there's there's a story where – um, the cover of a Mayhem record, I believe, had an actual image of a dude's suicide. Like they walked in and right. this former band member had blown his brains out and they took a picture of it. And then there was a whole thing where one of the members was implicated in stabbing one of the other members mm. to death many, many times. Then the church burning, all in service of Satan? Yeah. I guess? Yeah, or just – psychological issues. There was also a little bit of cannibalism alleged in that case. So it, let's get let's get back to uh, yeah. Fabio Fabio and mm-hmm. Chiara. Chiara, Chiara, yeah. They were, as we said, they had 16. They were out drinking uh, at the midnight, participating in the heavy metal scene in Milan, and they never came home. A lot of their friends claimed that the two had just run off together, and the police initially seemed to accept this explanation as well. However, Fabio's father, a guy named Michel Tolis, didn't buy it. He started doing his own research, which we always applaud. He attended metal concerts in this scene, and he went to festivals not just in Italy but across Europe searching for his son. And as we mentioned, Fabio and those in his circle were into extremely, extremely dark metal. The genres of death metal and black metal, both known for their use of gruesome, satanic imagery. Things like corpse paint. Right, corpse paint, Mm, which is the white and black mm -hmm. stuff meant to give you a pallor. Think of uh, a less cartoonish kiss. Yeah, I mean, a little more hardcore. And they were even known for, like, carrying around severed um, or dead animals in Mm -hmm. bags that they would smell before going on stage. Mm -hmm. A a real kind of, I don't know, some of it you read these stories and you're like, is this all just for show and kind of just like sort of like an extreme version of punk rock or something? Or was there actual satanic ritual going on? Not really clear even when you read the stories about these Scandinavian bands. Mm -hmm. Yeah, how much of it is sort of Alice Cooper performative stuff and how much of it is a reflection of their genuine beliefs? Uh, The the weird thing here is that – Fabio was very into this stuff and it turned out that his girlfriend also had a pretty extensive collection of satanic literature and, quote, paraphernalia. So paraphernalia, as we know, is a pretty large term, right? Yeah, like glass pipes, right? Yeah, right, like glass pipes. So this could have been uh, just chalices, could have been pentagrams, could have just been jewelry. Or things that maybe were even interpreted as satanic by investigators. Yeah, yeah. And 
In his search, Fabio's father became convinced that the two had not just disappeared. He became convinced that Satanism had something to do with his son's disappearance. It did not help that Michelle felt his son's former friends grew increasingly squirrely and evasive when he asked them about the disappearance. Yeah, this, his friends, yeah. the people who should be there like – Surely working, worrying about it. Should also be worried, yeah. yeah. Can we also point out real quick, this is something that's probably obvious to everybody or, or that's that's looked into this stuff. The idea of Satanism is often a huge misnomer because like the Church of Satan and like Anton LaVey, it's much more of a, it's not a joke religion, but it's like much more anti-God than pro-Satan or like anti-religion in general than pro the deity of Satan. <laughs> He's pro more self. a symbol of like, you know, re- uh, Revolution or um, liberation, liberation, and and kind of liberté, like the French notion mm-hmm. of, of that. So it's interesting to see these things referred to as satanic panics, like the murders at Robin Hood Hills, the the Memphis was it six? How many of them were there? You know, those kids. There, the documentary was made about them getting railroaded for these supposedly satanic ritualistic murders. Satanism is they're not they're not really about that kind of stuff. Well, it's okay. So this is an interesting thing. Longtime listeners, you'll probably remember how we had covered this in some earlier episodes, I believe. So there's the Satanism that is typically referred to here in the U.S. uh, as exactly what you're describing, Noel, the Anton LaVey, do as thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Mm -hmm. And that's more about a spiritual liberation from rigid metaphysical hierarchies, right? Uh, Whether they're treated as metaphors or actual things. But there's another genre of Satanism called deistic Satanism, meaning that, yes, there is a god. Yes, there is a a great adversary, and we're cool with the latter. Yeah. So so there there is a difference. I think often for people who are experiencing – or civilizations, rather, that are experiencing a satanic panic, they're thinking not of the more philosophical – Free yourself from uh, free yourself from Christian ideology, kind of Satanism. They're thinking of the deistic, the devil is alive. I hear him breathing, kind of Satanism. Oh, absolutely. I think what I was saying was more in reference to the whole idea of the death metal bands and the black metal and all mm. that. I don't know that that is necessarily based on like doing any kind of devil worship per se. It's more just like we hate God and hate religion and think what it represents is is bad for humanity in some way. Yeah, and it, interestingly enough, uh, it's, it's a misnomer that goes beyond the label of Satanism because a lot of Scandinavian metal bands in particular are rejecting Christianity and uh, in turn embracing a neo-pagan approach. So they're worshiping Woden and things like mm. that. So to them, Christianity is an impressive force, which – historically, is very true. It can be. A little heavy-handed, uh, as, as history has shown. But let's get back into the beasts. So, as I was saying, Michelle spent six years on his own, out in the cold, on this search. And he was extensively documenting connections between the people his son knew, his quote-unquote friends from the metal scene, and their areas where they hung out, their haunts, if I could Mm -hmm. use that word. Yeah, their bands and their mutual associates and connections. And in 2004, Michelle is watching the news when he learns of a brutal murder in a nearby town, Soma Lombardo. 
a young man named Andrea Volpe is arrested for killing his ex-girlfriend, a woman named Mariangela Pazota, and Volpe quickly admits to the crime. You got me? I did it. Not framed. Michelle, however, recognizes this name. You see, it turns out that Volpe played in a band with Michelle's son, Fabio. Oh, jeez. So six years later, he decides to call the police. And they're impressed by – initially, they're skeptical, of Mm -hmm. course. There's nothing law enforcement hates more than a self-appointed law expert. Absolutely. And so they find, uh, when he presents his evidence, that he has actually done a bang-up job with his investigation. They're impressed by the thoroughness of it and the quality. They actually use his work, his research, when they're interrogating Volpe about the disappearances – and he breaks. Yeah. He, con- he confesses. He says, your son and his girlfriend didn't just disappear. They were murdered. Furthermore, he tells police, I can show you where they are buried. Yeah. My God. And it turns out that um, this other dude, another one of Fabio's friends, this guy named Mario uh, Macione or Macione. Uh, he confessed himself to the murder mm-hmm. of, of these two individuals. He said he'd beaten Fabio to death with a hammer, mm-hmm. of all things. Uh, and then he also revealed that he was not the only person involved in these murders. Um, and there were actually a group of them, a group of boys. They were part of this network. It was a satanic community that called itself the Beast of Satan. Was that also the name of their band? Because that is a real missed opportunity if it wasn't. Uh, I believe it was the – I believe it was the network's name. It may have been a name for a band as well, but it was definitely the name of this conspiracy. And this is an act of conspiracy. Police also learned that in addition to murdering these two children, there was a drummer in the metal scene named Andrea Bontade who had been driven to suicide by the same group. They gaslit him. They got in his head. They emotionally, mentally terrorized him until one day he committed suicide. He ended his life by purposely crashing his car while inebriated. And we have to stop for one note here. It's it's a little bit difficult in those sorts of cases to know for sure beyond the shadow of a doubt that a whether a drunk driver meant to kill themselves in a vehicle. Absolutely. So it could have been that he was just depressed and too drunk to drive. But the press and law enforcement treated it as a suicide. And while this is all happening, Italy at the time, a very conservative, very Catholic country, already has this boiling fear, right, just simmering right under the surface. Uh, And the fear is that there would be some arcane, some hidden, some occulted occult network, a little wordplay there, Mm -hmm. uh, that is actively undermining the power of the church and is a threat to good Christians or good Catholics everywhere. And this story, the Beast of Satan, this is the powder keg that ignites in Italian culture. And a genuine satanic panic hits the zeitgeist. Again, it had already been there under the surface. And if you look at the timeline, similar things are happening in the United States. I'm sure anybody alive during the late 80s, early 90s can recall that. It goes back to Memphis too, like you had just mentioned, Noel. It goes back to 
talk shows. Yeah, and it goes back to talk shows too, Matt. You're right. I blame Marilyn Manson. Oh, yeah? You leave Brian out of this. Oh. <laughs> Have you seen him lately? He is a mess. He is a big old sloppy mess. He's not quite Billy Corgan mess. Yeah, mm. no, I, I, when I say a mess, I just mean like every time he's on camera talking, he seems like completely drunk out of, yeah. his, out of his mind. Yeah, fame's a fickle mistress for sure. And this uh, panic, yeah, panic's a good word for it. This panic hit police just as much as it hit the public and the tabloids, so much so that in the course of this investigation, they decide they will create a special unit focusing on, quote, new religious sects, particularly Satanists of any variety and violent, quote, ritualistic groups. They want to coordinate nationwide investigations into potentially dangerous new religious movements, and they plan to include not only psychologists and investigators, but a priest who is an expert on the occult. That sounds like wow. a comic book in the making, doesn't it? It really does. But it seems like probably the right move if this is the kind of thing you're targeting. Mm-hmm. And if you want to learn more about the context of Italy at this time, check out our episode on the Vatican and exorcism, especially the chief exorcist, right? Is it, what is it, Father uh, Amor? Uh, no, what's his name? Amorth. Amorth. A- Amorth, which A-M-O-R-T. you can find a documentary on Netflix, mm-hmm. on Netflix about right now. And he is a very conservative man. He also associates Harry Potter with the rise of Satanism. Woo. Several other people are convicted in the trials that result in this Beast of Satan investigation. Paolo Leone, Marco Zampalo, Eros Monteroso, Elisabetta Ballarin, and the leader, a plumber named Nicola Sapone, who is not a musician, but is the spiritual guru of this group and is thought to have been the the sort of Charles Manson behind the murders, right? Yeah. So maybe not himself wielding the hammer in this case, but being the operative mental force behind it. And this means that in at least one case – Although people will say that satanic panics are often overblown, in at least one case here, there was an active satanic conspiracy occurring in Italy, confirmed, proven, and real. And luckily, fortunately, officially, solved. Officially. You're right. Officially. But that takes us to another case and something even more – I guess notorious would be a good word. Uh, This is going to contain some graphic sexual content. Uh, Once you know that before heading in, this may not be suitable for all listeners. This is the story of the monster of Florence. Which we will get to right after a quick break. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, 
Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. And we're going to jump into the monster of Florence. Uh, In... The 1980s, there were a series of murders, the first of which that was discovered by police. It looked a little something like this. And as Ben mentioned before, this is going to get graphic. Mm. So please stop listening if if you need to. Someone was finding cars that were out in the, uh, in the countryside around Florence. Mm-hmm. And inside these cars, there were uh, usually a male and a female who were a bit younger, or at least one of them was a bit younger, usually unmarried, and they were engaging in amorous acts in their vehicles. And it's really interesting. There's an article, really more of an account, a true crime story called The Monster of Florence by Douglas Preston from The Atlantic, um, where he points out that for – it's it's just kind of a historical thing in Italy that folks would live with their parents until they got married. And so this culture of like having sex in cars, very much a thing. And there were even kind of creepers yes. that were called like Indiani, I believe, mm-hmm. which is a little bit of a racially problematic term because it, it, it translates to Indians. It meant kind of people kind of creeping around, you know, so right. not, not the best uh, look in terms of racial sensitivity there. But they would even like have like listening devices and it was like a total culture of this – 
kind of behavior. Um, so I just want to point that out up front that this wasn't just like an isolated yes. event. And it was a, a, a total hunting ground for the person we're about to talk about. Yes. Yeah, so lover's lanes. Yeah. Even people who were engaged yeah. to be married would still participate in this. So in June of 1981, June 6th, this is one of the first cases they find initially, although there's another – there are another couple yes. that we'll get to later, a couple of cases rather. Uh, there's a guy named Giovanni Foggi, F-O-G-G-I. He works at a warehouse. He's 30 years old. His fiance is – I went a little southern there. His fiance is a shop assistant named Carmela Di Nuccio and they are found shot to death and stabbed near the town where they both live, an area called Scandici. Danucho's body was pulled out of the car and this is the graphic part. The killer had cut out her pubic area. Uh, the entire pubic right, area. Her reproductive organs. And not just cut out like some sort of brutal, you know, uh, blunt instrument act. It was a an act of precision, of almost surgical precision. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the next morning, a guy who was known to be one of these Peeping Tom characters, a paramedic by trade named Enzo Spalati, went around and apparently was talking in town about the murder before the corpses had been officially discovered. So – he gets arrested, just bracket him, we'll yeah. come back. He's he's in jail for about three months at this time. And the police don't really have any leads, uh, but let me let me clarify something here. So we said 1981, right? June of 1981. Uh, that's when the police find the bodies of Giovanni and Carmela. They also at some point think – there there might be other things occurring. Other murders start happening. In October 23rd of the same year, a couple, Stefano Baldi and Susanna Camby, are also engaged. They're going to be married. Uh, they're in a car, and they are found shot to death and stabbed. Another wrinkle occurs here because an anonymous person calls Susanna Camby's mother the morning after the murder – to talk about her daughter and a few days before the murder, it turns out, Susanna had told her mother that there was someone stalking her, chasing her by car. And then another murder occurs on June 19th, 1982. Paolo Menardi and Antonola uh, Migliorini, I should say apologies yeah. for our pronunciation of the Italian names here, also engaged. They are They are found shot to death. But this time the killer does not mutilate the female victim. She is still alive when she is found. But she dies a few hours later at the hospital. And it looks like when the police are trying to reconstruct this that the killer drove the car a few feet to hide the vehicle and corpses in a wooded area but then lost control of the car and eventually abandoned the scene. And that's when – something even more strange happened because originally now the police believe these murders begin sometime in the 80s, right? But 12 days after that murder in June of 1982, the police in Florence receive an anonymous letter. 
That's right. Um, inside was a an aged clipping from La Nazione, which was uh, the the paper of note, um, and it was about a kind of long forgotten double murder from 1968, where a man and a woman uh, were slain while having sex in a parked car. Um, and scrawled on the article was a little bit of advice. It said, "Take another look at this crime." And that's it. No fingerprints, no forensic evidence. This was clean. So someone had at least taken the care to make sure it was truly anonymous, right? Yeah. The 1968 murder had previously been considered solved. It occurred on August 21st. A worker, a mason worker named Antonio Lao Bianco and Barbara Lochi were shot to death with a 22 Beretta in a small town west of Florence. Unfortunately, there was a kid asleep in the car. Yeah. Woke up, found his mother dead. Jesus. Ran to a nearby house at like 2 in the morning, opened the door, let me in. Get this, I'm tired and my dad's sick in bed. Uh, He has to drive me home. My mom and my uncle are dead in the car. That's right. The woman who was in the car was married and she was not – the guy she was sleeping with was not her husband. Her husband was a man named Stefano Mele and he was arrested for this crime. That's right. He was an immigrant from Sardinia and they actually did a test on him that showed that he had recently fired a, a gun, a handgun mm-hmm. and he uh, confessed – to doing this murder, these murders, um, in uh, an act of just, you know, complete Passion. passionate jealousy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, not premeditated. That was his that was his initial argument. He would spend six years in jail and it was considered an open and shut case until other very similar murders occurred. And when the nineteen eighty one murders were committed and it was demonstrably true that he could not have committed these because he was uh, – Yeah, he was incarcerated at the time. Right. He would not have been capable physically of doing these murders and he became the number one interview that Italian journalists wanted to acquire. And then he said something very troubling in an interview with Spezzi, which I, I found in that Atlantic article that I think we mentioned earlier. Uh, he – is pacing around. He seems a little discombobulated, but he mutters, they need to figure out where that pistol is. Otherwise, there will be more murders. They will continue to kill. They will continue. That's right, folks. They. Yeah, a single pistol and they. So when I take a quick moment to give props to this guy, Mario Spezzi, who kind of became a hotshot uh, crime reporter in Italy around this time and was the guy who um, – the inspector in uh, Thomas Harris's um, sequel to Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, was based on. And in fact, that story in general was inspired by these cases and Harris himself went to a lot of the trials and uh, spoke to Spezzi in person yep. and was a big part of this whole world. And uh, I believe Spezzi was even a little irritated that uh, – spoiler alert for Hannibal, um, the character that was based on him gets hung by his own guts out of the uh, the balcony of a piazza. And this this statement, this plural statement, they will continue to kill, led journalists and investigators and police to believe that Mele, while 
responsible for the 1968 murder had not acted alone, had not acted in a fit of passion. It had not been a spontaneous crime, but rather what they call a delito de clan, a clan killing, in which others from what would later be called the Sardinian Circle had participated. So investigators started to theorize that one of the killers had enjoyed this experience in 1968, so much so that he had gone on to become the monster of Florence using, in a massive stroke of stupidity, the same gun. And the next murder cases that proceed after this, after 1982, uh, on through 1983 and up to 1985, they were all connected by location type, by the MO, you know, people in cars sleeping together, and the same 22 caliber casings that were found at crime scenes. And I believe that they all had the same unique signature of the muzzle of that Beretta in question, which yeah, I think a, per- yeah. persisted throughout these cases. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. correct. And we know a little bit about the uh, method of attack. The killer would wait until the couple was engaged in intimate activities so their guard would be down, right? And then typically shoot the male first and use a flashlight to both illuminate the vehicle and lower the chances of the killer being clearly identified. And then they would shoot the female occupant Then they would use a knife to stab both victims multiple times, which tells us a little bit about the emotional state of the killer Mm -hmm. because a gunshot would already have, for lack of a better phrase, done done the task. At least in theory, yeah. Right. Uh, Depending on how you shoot someone with a twenty-two, they could die quite quickly, right? So the stabbing seems to be an act of rage of some sort. Then the body of the female victim was dragged away and the knife was used to mutilate them. The same knife most likely used to uh, do the stabbing after the initial shooting. Which I think I read would have been the kind of knife that a scuba diver would use that has kind of a hook on it. Notches, Um, right? Notches, yeah. And again, that very surgical Mm. precision. Uh, And one of the the murders, I think only one, um, I believe a breast was removed as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was – it was definitely someone that was theorized that they might have been a butcher or possibly someone that had some experience in Mm. in a surgical theater. And there was a later correspondence where a a single left nipple was mailed to law enforcement. Yeah. Okay. So we haven't got into – there's a lot more about this case Mm -hmm. and we need to keep exploring and we'll do that right after a quick word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position 
warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Here's where it gets crazy. To this day, as we record this in 2018... Despite multiple investigations, despite numerous trials, the case of the monster of Florence remains officially unsolved. Multiple people were arrested and even convicted over the years, but further killings using the same gun, that 22, under the same circumstances while these suspects were imprisoned, ultimately exonerated them. Investigators questioned more than 100,000 people to some degree in hopes of gathering new evidence. And they had, they had numerous suspects. Remember Enzo Spallati, we had mentioned earlier, he was the ambulance driver who was initially suspected. His car had been parked near the scene of the crime. And as law enforcement officers asked him more and more questions, he gave vague, conflicting alibis, probably because he didn't want to say that he was a voyeur, part yeah. of that culture we mentioned earlier. Uh, more evidence revealed that he had told his wife about this incident before it was announced in the paper. He was charged with two counts of homicide. He was sent to prison to stand trial. Several months later, however, a new murder led police to believe they got the wrong guy. He was just a creepy dude, yeah. not a murderer. But they also questioned a farmer named Pietro Paziani, who was a former rapist and murderer who had been arrested in 1951, 
when he caught his fiance sleeping with a traveling salesman and killed the guy. And here's the thing about him, too. Even his family, who admittedly hated the guy because he was a drunk and, and, a, and a, an abusive bully, even they said, yeah, this guy's the worst, but he didn't do mm. this. And, but, and yeah. And, and the you know our our journalist friend um, Spetsy also didn't buy it because you know these were very precisely carried out acts um, mm. with that surgical attention to detail and this guy was kind of a big bumbling drunken buffoon. Yeah, but they also investigators thought he was quite intelligent. Investigators thought he was quite intelligent despite his alcoholism. Yes, and he was. He stated, like, let, just listen to this, that 1951 murder where he mm. found his fiance in the mm. car with a traveling salesman. Mm. He said in the trial that he he saw the image of her left breast when he, like, looked in the car and mm. saw her left breast mm -hmm. with another man in the car. It sent him in a, into a rage and he killed that man. And wasn't that one of the things that led them to, like, connect it with him because of the severed left breast? And just the, you know – his fiance, the love of his life, supposedly or whatever, was cheating on him and all mm. this, and it's just like the rage that he went through. Right, but it was the and left it was the left breast, breast of yes. one of the victims mm. that was removed. Yes, now, get this: at the time of this new investigation, he's already been released after serving. Check it out: thirteen years in prison for murdering this guy in fifty-one. That's it, thirteen years. That's, so he's yeah, he's been out of prison for a while. Yeah, that's the price you pay: thirteen years. Think about it when you're in Italy. But in a uh, trial in 1994, he is convicted for 14 of the 16 counts of murder attributed to the monster of Florence. All, you know, many tied together with the use of this 22 because there is supposedly a 22 caliber round found in his garden, more or less the European word for yards. Backyard or something. Yeah, that we would use in the States. And this round matched the rounds used in the monster slains. However, uh, I believe it was Spezzi who, uh, when he was on assignment from a television station, videotaped a police officer at the search of the property saying that – this is the police officer talking – and the police officer said he believed the chief inspector had planted this round in that guy's garden. And it was an unspent round. It, it, wasn't, right. a, it wasn't a casing and it certainly didn't have the, the markings in question of the, of the weapon we're talking about. Right, right. So it's not, it's not anywhere near as rock solid as perhaps some factions of law enforcement wanted people to believe. And in 1996, an appeals court overturns this conviction. They say – a lack of solid evidence. Yeah, and it's crazy because, in fact, this is something you just don't even hear happening. The prosecutor who was uh, on the case actually r refused to prosecute because it had been such a uh, – just a, an abomination of justice. He said it was something like the level of – it was like the work of Inspector Clouseau, the famous bumbling Pink Panther detective. And uh, he was acquitted. Um, and it was sent back to be retried, but he actually, Pacciani, passed away in February of 1998 before this new trial could uh, could happen. So there's some stuff that happens before he passes away. Yeah. The yeah. investigators, despite the overturning for the lack of evidence uh, and despite the advocacy of the former prosecutor, the investigators still believe that Pacciani is guilty. Yeah, even though he's, you know, it's been overturned. Right. 
they believe they found evidence the monster's not acting alone and they get a confession from two other guys that are friends of Passiani's. Yeah, Mario Vanni and Giancarlo Lotti. And um, they they confess. Like they, they sat down and they confess, yes, we helped Pacciani kill these guys, kill these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and these two men end up getting convicted for four of the double murders. Vanni was given life in prison and Lotti was given a reduced sentence of 26 years. Mm-hmm. And at this point – in the investigation, this is, you know, we've gone back a little, Passiani's still alive. The investigators believe that Passiani is the leader of a group of killers and that's when they begin this retrial. And as we said, days before this retrial, Passiani is found dead in his home, allegedly, officially from heart-related issues. Yeah. But there are some questions about that, right? Oh, big ones that uh, tie back into the say the aforementioned satanic panic of the beasts of satan case that we mm-hmm. talked about at the top of the show. Mhm. Uh was he dead due to simple health issues or was there something rotten in Florence, right? So then there's the Sardinian connection which we mentioned earlier. At one time the investigation focuses on three Sardinian brothers, Francesco, Salvatore and Giovanni Venci. All three had been lovers of the woman who was murdered in 1968, and one or more had been present at her death. First, the police arrest Francesco. In September of 1983, with Francesco Vinci in jail, the monster strikes again. Yep. So it keeps happening. It keeps happening. And so initially, police think, well, maybe one of Francesco's affiliates has committed a new murder matching the M.O. just to create a false lead. So cold-blooded that they said, let's kill two people and make them just to make a red herring, right? So the police arrest Antonio Vinci on firearms charges, which are admittedly kind of trumped up. They're an excuse for them to get him in the room. And they question him intensely, but they're unable to break him. And eventually they have to release him. Francesco remains in prison. So the police believe Francesco, while perhaps not being the murderer, knows the identity of the true killer. And then later, there's another guy who becomes implicated in this, a fellow named Ricardo Vitti. Vitti's arrested for the suspected murder of several prostitutes in areas of Florence, very close to the site of the monster's murders. Currently, he's not considered the murderer, and a lot of people say that the Italian courts and law enforcement were just trying to get their man, to get their yeah. case closed. But then, you know, we go back to the thing we've been we've been talking about this entire time, which is is this a lone serial killer uh, or is this something deeper? Is there a cult at play? Like similar to uh, Berkowitz and the Son of Sam murders, various investigators and criminologists have all argued that the monster of Florence homicides are the result of not only a group but maybe even a group practicing occult esoteric rituals. Yikes. Yeah, this whole notion that um, this this man who you know took the fall for these murders not only wasn't acting alone, but was like the least of the involved parties. That he was something more along the lines of a courier um, providing these sex organs 
for the purposes of satanic rituals or black masses, right? Mm -hmm. Um, There's an article in The Guardian called Italian Mass Killer was, quote, servant of satanic sect. Yeah, yeah, and that that comes in two thousand and one, right? Pretty pretty recent in consideration of the the times in which these murders occurred. And we should also note here that if there's any sand to this, that means the time in which the murders we know about occurred. So, Noel, can you tell us a little bit about what happens in this Guardian article? I do, but first I need to make a quick correction, and I'm so sorry. Earlier I said that it was the uh, the journalist who was um, used as the inspiration for the character in Thomas Harris's Hannibal. It was actually the chief inspector, Ruggiero Perugini, um, who was uh, used as that inspiration. So I just want to ah. clarify that real quick. But yes, uh, Italian mass killer uh, was the servant of a satanic sect, an Ar- a Guardian article by Rory Carroll writing from Rome. And like you said, this is from 2001. It, it It's just the notion that there was some kind of high-level society of Tuscan elite that were carrying out these murders, or at least it was on their behalf. Um, there was a, an investigation, a raid that took place in the offices of um, a, a leading psychologist who was a member of the Secret Service, um, and it uncovered computer disks and notes and books and all kinds of things detailing the killings. And these men who were raided and weren't necessarily considered suspects, but it kind of points to some kind of deeper cover-up involving um, Pacchiani, that he was a patsy, more or less, or that he, you know, maybe did carry out the murders, but it was that it was at the behest of some much more sinister figures in high society that were kind of pulling the strings. Like Detroit and the Detroit affair in Belgium. Exactly. Yeah, but in this case, you've got two guys, Aurelio Matti, and he's a psychologist with the Secret Service, and this other dude, Francesco Bruno, who was a leading criminal uh, criminal psychologist, who were actually working on the case of the, Flor- the monster of Florence. And what's alleged here is that uh, these guys were actually kind of withholding certain parts as Pacciani is going uh, to trial and evidence is coming up because they're actually implicated in it or p- part of the major reasons for it happening. Yeah, and it can, the mystery deepens as well because in 2004, there's a, another inquiry that reopens uh, the wife of a – or the ex-wife of a chemist named Francesco Calamandre comes forward and accuses her husband, Francesco, her ex-husband, of being associated with the killings. Uh, there's an article in The Telegraph, Monster of Florence, Killed on Cult's Order. Uh, in this in this description, the pharmacist or the chemist is 60 years old and his home is searched for 11 hours. Police find 10 boxes of pornographic material and associated paperwork and Francesco is one of 13 people that are put under investigation. Officials at this point in 2004 say they have concrete proof to unmask those behind the murders and they have been carried out according to a, quote, precise esoteric ritual. Whoa. So it goes deeper, right? And still, let's say we have to point out still this case is considered officially unsolved. And as crazy as it might sound to say there's some kind of 
possible occult angle or cover-up occurring, there are a lot of troubling circumstantial things to this case. Yeah, and one of them in particular was that in 1998, when um, when Pacciani died of this supposed heart attack, a, a magistrate who was investigating the case, a guy named Paolo Canesa, he, he actually said on the record that he believed that this death was uh, the cause of, of some kind of poisoning to silence him from pointing the finger at the real killers. Wow. And the, the, the last line in this article in The Guardian is what kind of leaves me with some chills, and I don't really know where to go from here, but I'm, I'm going to give it to you. Um, apparently, Pacciani died with quite a bit of assets. He had two homes and about 50,000 lira in the bank. And the idea is that this was money that he had been paid hush money. Mm -hmm. And they conjecture that the leader of this sect could have been someone like a doctor or a lawyer or someone, you know, very high up in in that society. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Very, I, very troubling. I found some other strange stuff too about uh, purported collateral deaths occurring in the Monster Florence case. You can find in various forms lists of numbers of suspicious murders, deaths, or suicides that surround the case. And there's a lot of, I would say, allegation or maybe speculation that these might be related. Uh, these are names of everyone from prostitutes to uh, hotel workers, psychologists, uh, also active were active at the time that they were alive, uh, active wizards, warlocks, magicians. It gets very fuzzy very, very quickly. And the allegations here, again, one of the things that I keep going back to in this case is that the question of collaboration and conspiracy seems pretty – it seems very possible the question to me now is just like what what is the nature of this group? Is it a group of people who are related to each other and making repeated killings? Is it a group of a, a network enacting rituals, a network with enough influence to cover it up or keep it keep it from being officially solved? You know, I think I think off air, uh, Noel, you had compared it to True Detective. Oh yeah, I mean that's it's got it's got that uh, vibe, and, and like we said, Thomas Harris definitely drew a lot of inspiration for this for his fictional uh, book Hannibal. So I mean, it certainly has the stuff of great storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I read another, I read another allegation that didn't relate to clan killings or to serial killers. An article from July of 2017, at the Italian Insider mentions the reopening of the Monster of Florence murders and also mentions a new suspect, a guy named Giamperio Vigilante, who was 86 years old at the time. And the investigation argues that this series of murders uh, occurs to function as a false flag, a pista nera, Meaning that, according to the lawyers arguing this, uh, Vieira Adirani, he says that the crimes serve as distractions for magistrates and public opinion from what was happening in Italy during the strategy of tension 
the series of terrorist acts throughout the 70s and 80s committed by right-wing extremists, such as the Bologna bombing, which aimed to shift the blame onto communists to quell communist movements to gain support for right-wing causes. Wow, that's a big conspiracy. Yeah, you got to like the simplicity of it, right? Yeah. They were like, oh, what if the game Mousetrap was, what if we just did that? Yeah, but what if that's actually what happened? I don't know. It seems kind. Of, it seems sort of far fetched, doesn't it? It certainly does. I mean, I guess we could see some of that tail wagging the dog in other journalistic aspects, but it seems like a lot to murder people because whatever the motivation of the cause is, the truth is that real people did die, and that seems. It seems like actually murdering people is going a bit far to distract from this. But again, the Bologna bombing was a real thing. Mm-hmm. So we have, at this point, no official conclusions or answers. And I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think there's, uh, do you think there's a cover-up afoot? Yes. I think there is – there was some kind of cover-up. But, you know, there are two guys who went to jail for most of it and maybe they were just patsies, but they did give confessions. Mm-hmm. I think weird rich dudes do stuff like this all the time probably. I'm not kidding. I really, really Wait, really? Do. Oh, I definitely do. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I think any – I think as as perverse and twisted a thing as you can imagine, somebody is paying a bunch of money to do it and, and are able to continue doing it because of their position of, of power and prominence. I, I have no doubt in my mind that that's true. I argue that there's another force. I bet that could be true, but I, I argue there's another force that actively aids and abets this, which is that – Governments and especially intelligence agencies when they're functioning on a rogue level do encourage these things in order to have – I'm not saying these murders in particular but do encourage illegal activities in order to have dirt on people. It's blackmail later. If you can get somebody in a honeypot situation, I'm not saying it has to be something wild and out there like cannibalism or yeah. crazy abuse. It could or just a be – tape. Yeah, it could be a P-tape. It could be a prostitute. It could be anything like that. And that, that is a proven tactic of intelligence agencies. We've also heard allegations that that extends to much darker and more twisted territory than the public knows about. But yeah, that's the scary thing about this. We don't have definitive proof that it happened, but we have pretty good evidence that it's plausible. We have pretty good yeah. evidence of like the level of depravity that human nature can uh, push people to. That's true, especially when it slowly escalates. Yeah, know? and when they're corrupted by ultimate power. I don't mm-hmm. know. I hate yeah. to sound like <laughs> such a downer on the human race, but man, I, I, we've seen some stuff in our uh, day. Yeah, I would even say just lack of consequences is enough. <laughs> it might not even have a benefit. Oh, man. Well, the uh, terrible news is that uh, modern ritual murders do continue to occur in Italy. Even today, in February of 2018, an 18-year-old girl named Pamela Mastro Pietro was discovered in two suitcases. Yes, um, her dismembered body had been left alongside this rural road near Mar- uh, Maserata, Italy. And this is gruesome again. Here you go. Uh, her heart and internal organs were all missing. And um, – <clears throat> She, uh, she's been struggling with drug problems. She recently went to this recovery clinic to try and get some help. And she was to some degree familiar with the area uh, as well as the, uh, you know, the criminal underground that's there, the people who are moving in the shadows. Giving her uh, past with drug abuse, right? Yes, just getting it. 
So the investigation led law enforcement to the home of a 29-year-old man named Innocent Osagale. Well, he's fine then. Right, right, right. Nominative of determinism all the way. Uh, he is an illegal immigrant at the time, and he has a criminal record for drug dealing. And he was probably still selling drugs at the time, they believed. Two of his associates are also arrested. Police find blood-covered clothing belonging to Mastro Pietro along with knives and blades uh, with her blood on them. And her body had been washed with bleach. He had washed his hands with bleach. The absence of her heart, internal organs, and sexual organs led police to suspect the girl may have been sacrificed in what, and this is the law enforcement's term, in what they called, quote, some kind of voodoo ritual. According to criminologist Alessandro Maluzzi, it is a routine to cut victims into pieces and in some cases to eat parts of their body in this criminal underworld. Uh, Maluzzi claims that cannibalism is more of a rule than an exception in these situations and that people often refuse to speak out about the practice due to concerns of being called racist. So again, we see racism raising its head here in Italy because there is – in these reports, we'll see things where someone will say, Otto – the immigrants are murdering people and eating them and whatever yeah. other scary thing you can think about. But in this case, it does appear that at least this guy did kill someone ritualistically in order to, through supernatural means, accomplish some task in the material world. That's what we mean when we say ritual murders. Ritual A ritual murder is not just to... Uh, kill someone in a way that the killer finds interesting for its own sake, it is supposed to create some sort of effect in the world. Italian law enforcement claims other drug dealers participate in ritual murders with the goal of causing madness and death amongst the police population. Yeah. In December of 2017, a 46-year-old Moroccan woman was found in a forest near Verona, and her body was dismembered into approximately a dozen pieces. There are, number, there are a number of other cases like this you can unfortunately find in Italian media. However, the big, the big question is, are these actually ritualistic murders or is law enforcement portraying them as such? And there's a huge historical and cultural context bubbling, again, just under the surface here. How much of the motivation for uh, the portrayal of these things as religiously motivated ritual murders, how, mu- how much of that motivation comes from religiously motivated hysteria? How much of it is corruption or incompetence in the Italian law enforcement system? And how much in recent cases could be attributed to racism? These are questions that are tough to answer, but one thing is for sure. There was at least one proven active satanic conspiracy slash ritual murder group in Italy and the case of the monster of Florence remains to this day unsolved. So don't listen to death metal if you're in Italy. That's a bad idea because there's probably some ritualistic murders happening somewhere near you within that scene. And then two, don't park your car and Ever. get amorous with someone in the countryside. Ever. Unless you're married and you've got documents on the windows. This is like Jason Voorhees rules, dude. Yeah, that's where, that's where we're at now. Can you do it in a tent? No, there. Uh, I don't think we talked about at that least one, one couple. I mean, there was you, a tent yeah, story. If you want to yeah. get stabbed in his head? All right, yeah. cool. Or shot in the hand. And How then, about we just be safe and just say no sex before marriage? Done. It's, That's it. Uh, don't do it. Hard pass. 
Don't wait. Both of you guys stop right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right, Matt. Uh, you are married. <laughs> uh, so um, at this point, we end on a question too. We would like to hear uh, your perspective on these murders. Do you, do you think this stuff is being, I, I don't know, like falsely advertised as a, a cult in nature? Or do you think that there's an, there is an active cover-up? And if so, does it continue today? And if, and if that is the case, then who's doing the covering? Is it the Secret Service? Is it uh, an elite group of disgusting, perverse aristocrats? Is it uh, a family with a dark secret? We'd like to know. You can tell us about it on Instagram. You can reach us on Facebook. You can reach us on Twitter. Hey, don't forget. We're coming to a city near you very soon on our first ever live tour. Yes, we're going to be on tour in the Northeast. You can find more information about it right now if you go to stufftheydontwantyoutoknow.com and click on the live shows tab. You'll see everything there and you can get tickets directly. Who knows? We might be talking about more Satan stuff. Yeah, maybe. Or not. Could be anything. Yeah, we don't really know yet, but we're figuring it out. That's right. And if you don't want to do that stuff, you can just call our phone number and leave a message. We are concocting some things with your messages right now. You can call 1-833-STDWYTK. In the morning. <laughs> it's a lot, but you can do it. Call us. We've got a ton of great messages already, and you'll, you may hear yourself on the show very soon. And in the meantime, if you don't want to do any of that, you can reach out to us on the usual social media channels where we are either Conspiracy Stuff or on Instagram we're Conspiracy Stuff Show. Conspiracy Stuff, I believe, is just the Facebook and the Mm -hmm. Twitters. Uh, And if none of that stuff does it for you, um, you can just send us a good old-fashioned email where we are. Conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com. Sleep tight. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiast. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. 